back in the fur shed. Welcome to episode 26 of the Trapping Today podcast. I'm your host, Jeremiah Wood, trappingtoday.com. And uh, it's good to be here. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, long day today. I'm trying to kind of wing it on this podcast. So just spent about 10 hours fixing fence outside and uh, moving cows around and working on a bunch of that stuff. And um, anyway, I come back in when it got dark and uh, rummaged through a few things. I did get a chance to look over some stuff this morning that I want to cover. So um, here are the few things we're going to go over. Um, I got a chance to look at, uh, to watch the Flat Set Fix. That's a new Flat Set DVD uh, with Kellen Cotts. Uh, we're going to go over an old Herb Lennon book, old school trapping. So we're going to go, basically, um, we're going to talk about a 2018 DVD and then go straight to a 1944 book on trapping. So new school to old school. Uh, then I'm going to give a little shout out to an old uh, trapping friend that recently popped up uh, on my radar. Uh, we talk about Indiana bobcat trapping and results of the latest uh, North American fur auction, which just uh, pretty much concluded uh, today. So anyway, with that, let's get into it. Um, oh, first, I should also mention my new book, Fur Profit. That's a trapper's guide to the modern fur market. And I really appreciate it if you guys would pick that up. If you haven't already, uh, that would be great. Uh, it is available online. On, you can get it from a number of different places. Um, I actually have a, there's a little ad in Trapper's Post. I've been getting a few people sending in requests for books from, from that ad. So you can check that out. Um, you can also go to my website, go to trappingtoday.com. You can get it from amazon.com. And now we're starting to see the book in some major retailers uh, in the trap and supply world. So F&T Fur Harvesters Trading Post, they've got everything, including the Fur Profit book. So they've got that up on their website now. Uh, of course, all this stuff showed up on the websites, but it won't be in the catalogs until this you know, late summer, early fall when all the trapping catalogs roll around. Uh, but F&T has it. Uh, PCS Outdoors has it on their website. Uh, Cots Brothers have it. And Sterling Fur should have it. It hasn't showed up on the website yet. Um, but if you get your trapping supplies from any of these guys, um, check them out. If you get them from somebody else, uh, maybe you want, might want to mention, hey, I'd like to get that uh, Fur Profit book. That'd be pretty cool. Um, and uh, anyway, uh, if you buy from one of those suppliers, that would be awesome. Greatly appreciate that. I want to support the people who supported me and uh, and took a chance to pick up copies of that book and put it on their inventory. So anyway, check that book out. That'd be awesome. Now, The Flat Set Fix. This is a new 2018 DVD I mentioned in the last uh, podcast episode. And it is a one-hour-long DVD with Kellen Cotts of Cotts Brothers Lures. Uh, Kellen is a uh, he's a he's a real good trapper he just wrote a book that came out last year the black book of coyote trapping and it's kind of like to me it was the modern book you know you, you look at uh, a bunch of the the old trapping books like a lot of 
a lot of the fox trapping stuff came out back in the 70s, right? When when uh, that was really popular time in the trapping world, fur was worth a lot of money. And uh, a lot of the, you look in the market today and there's not necessarily a lot of specialized species specific trapping books um, that have really up-to-date information. So basically it, it, it reminded me of like, say, uh, a Russ Carmen book from fox trapping in, back in the 70s, but this is coyote trapping in 2018. So it goes over all the newer methods and and uh, particularly the equipment uh, changes and technological advances that we've had over time. Um, covers all that in the book. And uh, the flat set fix is a little unique in that it's a one hour DVD. It, it goes over the flat set primarily for coyote trapping, but also fox trapping. Uh, but it it's basically a one hour DVD, particularly just focused on one type of set. And you don't see that too often these days, but I think it's going to become uh, a little more popular. Um, just uh, kind of focusing on one on one single thing. Uh, because you know things get pretty diluted in in the trapping industry, just like any other industry, where the market's kind of flooded with a whole bunch of stuff, and you don't know what's what, and you don't know what this video or that video focuses on. They're all 30, 40 bucks, um, so um, it, it's really tough sometimes uh, as a as a buyer in that market uh, to determine you know what's a good deal, what you what you want to get, what you, what you should be looking for. Uh, so this is a $15 DVD, so it's really cheap, uh, affordable, it's simple, it's one hour, it's not uh, going to put you to sleep, and it focuses on one thing, so you want to get good on good at this one particular thing, and that's making flat sets. Um, so basically, uh, through the DVD, uh, Kellen basically just shows how to how to make flat sets in a, a wide variety of conditions and situations looking for location and then he just constructs a whole bunch of different flat sets and kind of has like uh, still video camera pictures showing the set and he describes why he did things a certain way where he put the trap um, what he uses to guard the loose jaw or guard the dog um, where where he sets uh, what he does with the backing if he has visual eye appeal how he chose that location where he's going to put bait and lure on the set or or not and uh, it goes through all that so it's really neat um, there you know it's not the audio goes in and out sometimes it, sometimes it, you can hear them really good sometimes maybe not so much so it's not perfect uh, but it's pretty neat and, and it shows some some nice catches shows him going all the way through the season from early on where they get green grass making sets and and all the way into winter time where they're making making flat sets in in snow and it's below zero and uh, and still running a trap line, so it, it's neat. Um, one thing I will say is you're not going to see this is like really good flat set for uh, like farm country. So uh, sometimes when I think flat set, I think of you know like the the old western uh, flat set where you've got like you're in dry desert sagebrush country. And uh, you got a little piece of sagebrush, or you get a bone, the pounded piece of a bone pounded into the uh, sand, and a little bit of urine or gorse squirted onto that, and uh, and set the trap and and something guarding the guarding the 
the loose jar guarding the dog and uh, it's, it's just a totally different set so this is more if you're in farm country uh, this this is like perfect there's a lot of grass clumps and grass and a little bit of wood incorporated in rocks and stuff uh, but it's mainly a farm country type um, set the other thing is you know there's there's some variation of the flat set that uh, is more suited to like uh, wooded eastern forested country and even though it, it's not necessarily uh, it, it's it's not necessarily like forested type of sets really because coyotes are more frequenting open country where they can see around them and they like the open spaces even in those forested areas they're looking for those open areas uh, so so those type of flats are going to be very similar to uh, what Kellen shows you how to make in this open farm country um, so basically you know it's 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 specific to one area but it's applicable everywhere so it's a really cool DVD I do recommend you checking it out um, it's it's something new something different it's only 15 bucks and uh, if if you can pick up one or two different things uh, to add to your arsenal and make yourself a better trapper it's that's always a great investment and also coyote prices as we're gonna see uh, when I talk about the auction the coyote prices seem to be holding up so coyotes are probably gonna be worth quite a bit again this coming fall and winter next winter so it, it'll be worth uh, setting some traps for them now if we go back in our time machines I'm gonna take you from 2018 all the way back to 1944 the really old days of trapping totally different world uh, John Chagnon from PCS Outdoors has been sending me uh, some of these old Herb Lennon books to read I've been reading them one at a time sending them back to him and uh, it's really been been pretty neat because these books Herb Lennon's books are really hard to find I, I mean, you're not gonna find them from from any trapping supplier you might be able to find them occasionally popping up here and there on eBay or at, you know at a at a trapping convention someone might have an old old copy for sale or possibly like the the uh, trap shed over on Trapper Man uh, there's a few places you might be able to find them but really really hard to find and uh, really neat books I, I actually didn't get completely through this um, pretty close to the end but I thought I'd talk about it as I get I get through a good portion of it um, had a little bit of rain this morning and I was able to spend a couple hours working on this and, and reading through the book um, and taking some notes and it was it was pretty uh, pretty enlightening pretty informative so this is book is called the secrets of successful trapping by Herbert Lennon and just in the title there's a little bit of irony there because he does talk about how there really are no true secrets in in professional trapping which is something that I've mentioned about trapping mentioned about lure making um, and, and a lot of people have reiterated this over the years um, that the only secrets aren't really that secret at all um, and, and he gets into it pretty good uh, so basically this book is is called the secrets of professional trapping it's a general broad trapping book but it does focus on wolf coyote fox and bobcat so it, as I understand it I believe this is the first one that he wrote and he focused on these species um, he started it with just kind of some general overall trapping 
information and then when he went into species specific he focused on these predators and uh, later on he had a lot of demand for trapping other species people wanted more information on those and and so he branched out and wrote a few books on other species uh, but for now uh, for this book uh, focused on on those species so very interestingly the the book starts with a written guarantee which is is really neat uh, especially you know back in that day it was probably something that that made a lot of sense he basically just guaranteed two trappers that are reading this book that this stuff is legit it's based on my experience um, I use the lures I talk about um, all the catches you know this the things that I'm telling you based on my knowledge uh, the, to the best of my knowledge are um, are things that I do myself and what works um, he did comment in the book a little bit about how he's instructed people and then he's um, and he sold them lures that he makes and he uses and then uh, he's heard back from him later on saying can you tell me the real secrets because I um, obviously what you told me wasn't what you really do because I haven't caught anything and so he goes back to the drawing board and and uh, bang his head against the wall try to understand why these people just don't seem to get it um, so that was interesting but Lennon he talks about some of his experience when he started out trapping he started at age six and uh, he didn't take him but a few years to become uh, the top mink trapper in his area and in 1936, he set a coyote record for the state of Michigan. He ran uh, 61 traps and he caught 47 coyotes, three bobcats, and a wolf. And he bountied 38% of the fur bearers uh, bountied in the entire state. So that doesn't sound like much. Oh, 47 coyotes, I can do that in a couple weeks, a lot of guys might say. Um, think about think about the time there 1944 think about uh, the road systems the automobiles the equipment the fur bearer populations think it was so much harder to do what that man did 47 coyotes in a season is probably uh, akin to 470 in certain places today so uh, he he uh, accomplished quite a bit um, and and obviously uh, at the time those were pretty incredible numbers and uh, he it, it gave him you know a lot of confidence and and a lot of uh, credibility in the trapping world uh, he goes on to talk about his theory of trapping and and this is really cool because uh, I I kind of um, I like to think this way and I really think that if Herb Lennon were here with us today, still trapping, that he he would surprise a lot of people in the way that he trapped. Um, because he talks about um, a lot of good trappers out there. And he says, what, you know, basically trying to show you what, what separates me from uh, all the good, a lot of the good trappers out there. He said, there's many good trappers, but none have really studied the game of trapping in in great depth and none have been willing to change their tactics from the preceding generation so basically I do this the way I was taught because this guy taught me and he was taught by that guy 
and my or I do it the way my daddy did it and daddy did it the way granddaddy did it and so on. He says this this profession requires thought, study, and change. And so um it really leads me to believe that he he was was into that whole continual education and learning and changing and adapting. Uh, which really, if you look at it, a, a lot of professional trappers uh, absolutely have that attitude, and they have um, they, they they practice uh, exactly that. So uh, that was kind of one of his his whole ideas and in, in the mindset, and uh, he came up with a theory of trapping, and then he worked. He said he he once he came up with that theory, he worked to prove or disprove it based on over time, and I thought that was cool because it was. To me, you know, that was kind of like a true scientist where you come up with a theory, but but you don't just stop there and say, okay, this is fact. Um, as soon as you come up with a theory in the scientific world, if you're a good scientist, you all of a sudden you start doing as much as you can to either prove or disprove that theory. And so you study and study and you do more studies in different areas and different conditions and situations and different variables. And the more that you learn trying to prove or disprove your theory, um, the more that theory uh, either changes, becomes adapted, or becomes more that much more credible. And that just makes you better and smarter um, at what you do. Uh, so, so to me, that's that is a really cool thing. It's a really good attitude to have. Now, I'm gonna. Flip over here to page five. I had a spot bookmarked here to read. Um, so this is kind of a, a little bit about his theory. Um, first in my theory was the fact that the members of the dog family had the ability to reason, run more or less in packs, were next to human beings in intelligence, had a streak of curiosity, established calling posts, had regular crossing places, had certain places where they came to play or howl, had regular feed ranges, depending on their nose and eyes, depended on their nose and eyes to protect them from danger, and that their instinct to sense danger was present only when something aroused that instinct. First then was to eliminate the protection from those keen eyes and much more keen nose. So he went on uh, to talk about how um, that kind of formed his his practices in trying to make natural sets, uh, not have any scent at the set, and and so on. So uh, so he worked it with that and and developed this theory and all these practices, and then started to talk about how to run a trap line and and uh, the book goes into a number of of different topics. The scent thing was uh, um, was unbelievable. How specific he was on the scent. Um, he even said that um, he kind of pretended like he was a wanted criminal out there in the woods, where he would uh, he'd act like, you know, he he did everything he could to leave absolutely no sign that he was there uh, for the animals to to see um, or to sense. Uh, he had a theory on gang setting. He'd find he'd find families of coyotes, and he'd set a bunch of traps in one area. Something that we do today. Uh, the, of course, the, you know, the scent thing. We kind of downplay that a lot today. It's not it's not quite so prevalent as it was, in, back in that time. And I don't know if that could be a number of factors. I've had a few trappers email me about that uh, from previous podcasts, and they uh, 
they had a, a lot of good suggestions as to why that is. Uh, one is probably uh, tr- there's animals are not don't receive near as much trapping pressure as they did in the past. So possibly their their animals are less educated. You have a a great deal uh, a larger population of juvenile animals that are that are not that experienced because uh, there just isn't a lot of trapping pressure and and they're not learning that all that much um, about humans and danger the other thing is there are those animals are tend to be more accustomed these days to human populations because human populations have grown animal populations have grown there's a lot more overlap i mean you got read stories in the news about coyotes going into urban chicago uh so you know those those animals human scent may not be quite as alarming to them as it was in the past uh, and Lena did actually in 1944 talk a little bit about, you know, if you're if you're a farmer and you're on the tractor, you know, the coyote's gonna know that that you are you're going about your your deal in the field on the tractor doing your work. He's not gonna be alarmed by that. If all of a sudden you take those clothes that you wore on the tractor and you start walking through the woods, uh, you know, that may that may raise a little bit of uh, uh, the coyote's alarm system and a little bit of thinking that eh, maybe this isn't quite natural. What is he doing here? He doesn't belong here, and, and so on. So that's the scent thing. Uh, Herb Lennon's theory on lure and bait. So this was really interesting. I don't follow this, and I don't know if I should. It's kind of I don't know a lot of trappers that do, but it's interesting to think about. His theory was uh, he would use bait only when food is scarce so in times or areas where food is scarce he'd use bait in generally in feeding areas so he determined there were places where where coyotes would feed places where they would den places they where they would play um, and he'd use bait in those feeding areas uh, and then he would use more focus more on lures in non-feeding areas or of course areas where where uh, where food was not scarce Moving on a little bit about just just basically common sense tactics. Uh, he talked about observation and preparation on the trap line. Talked about prospecting, finding litters, uh, how how they're spaced a certain distance apart. Talked about equipment. Obviously very outdated, but man, it was interesting reading about how much we've advanced uh, over the years in the equipment. Uh, he actually made his own drags, believe it or not. So that was kind of interesting. Uh, talked about prepping, uh, prepping traps, clothing. This was an interesting line. Uh, Herb said he went way, way into detail about uh, how putting rubber over the top of his boots, uh, these special rubber boots over the top of his regular boots, and then uh, washing clothes, like constantly washing clothes. He must have wore through a lot of clothes because he washed it constantly. Uh, cleanliness was 120 10 percent uh focused and at one point he kind of he talked about guys picking up scent everywhere and then going on the trap line and here's a quote if you are too dumb to get what i mean you are too dumb to trap (laughs) so anyway i thought that was kind of interesting um lures he actually talks gives the exact formula for two lures that he used 
that he made and sold for years. So that was very, very interesting. Uh, they, he actually, when he talked about lures, he, he said there are four types of lures, uh, passion or musk, a type of lure that arouses passion, uh, urination, urine or gland lure, a curiosity lure, and a bait or food lure. Uh, but the, those, those lure formulas are, looked like they're really hard to make. So it's not like, oh, wow, I, I'm going to go buy that book, find that book and get his formula. Um, pretty much get us one of them. You got to set it. It's basically going to take you a year or more to make it. And there's some ingredients you have to find that are not as easy to find maybe as they were at his time and place. So, um, but anyway, pretty pretty cool little lore formulas. Uh, and finally, overall, no great secrets. Um, I'm not going to go into the species specific because I I haven't quite finished all that section. But he goes into individual characteristics of different species: the coyote, bobcat, and and uh, fox and wolf. Uh, but another, finally, um, just want to end by saying, you know, Herb pointed out that there are no great secrets. And for the most part, there's no bad luck. And not catching animals um, doesn't has very little to do with bad luck. He says no bad luck. There's laziness, thoughtlessness, carelessness, and lack of knowledge, <laughs> but not bad luck. <laughs> he said the secrets are really just good common sense tactics, including location, cleanliness, and naturalness. And this is something. I kind of hammered on for a little while this winter on the podcast and about lures, about secret lures. Um, and, and interestingly, he noted that lure and bait are not too, it's not too important in itself if the other three factors are remembered. So those factors, location, cleanliness, and naturalness. So uh, just another, just a little point to drive that whole thing home. Great, great resource, Herb Lennon, The Secrets of Successful Trapping from 1944. Uh, Awesome little piece of work. Thank you, John, for sending me that book, and I look forward to reviewing more of the other Herb Lennon books in the future. So I'll I'll put up a review when I get a chance to write one on Trapping Today if you want something you you can read. Now I want to give a little shout out to Chad Eshe. Um... So Chad is one of the he's the first trapper that I sought out when I moved to Montana. And just for a little background, you know, I, I'm from Maine, and I'm, I've trapped in a few other states. I just work and school brought me to different places. And kind of the thing that I did um, each time that I moved to a new place was I wanted to trap. And... The first thing that I wanted to do was get to know who the local trapper was and and uh, try and just find out. It's kind of my deal. I, I want to know where the territories are. I don't. I want to be friendly with people and kind of work my way into, I, you know, trapping just like anything else. Uh, you have local, you know, little unwritten rules and common courtesy and things that, you know, this is one guy's trapping area and... and uh, people respect that, so so you can't really respect that if you, in in all of those things that go on in local among local trapping community, if you don't know each other. So I asked around. I think the local warden, local game warden, uh, gave me Chad's information, and 
and said he was he was pretty much the trapper in the area, which was was kind of strange because to me because I you know I places in a town. The town in rural Maine that I live in now is the same size as that town. Chad was pretty much the only trapper in that town, about, oh, 1,200 people. Uh, there were very few other trappers. Um, and, of course, the town I live in now, there's about a dozen or to up to two dozen trappers, depending on who you consider a trapper. So it was kind of a, kind of interesting. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a ranch country, and I realize why... A lot of people don't trap. There's so much hunting and fishing opportunity there. It's easy to get tied up in those other things. But anyway, uh, I was in a town just uh, near Absorke, Montana. Uh, if anybody listening knows where that area is, it's in south central Montana, uh, somewhere between Billings and Bozeman, north of Yellowstone Park. Uh, pretty much a slice of heaven. If uh, land wasn't so expensive, I'd still live there. But anyway, uh, beautiful, beautiful place, and I found out Chad was the the local trapper, and I I just basically went over to his house one evening and introduced myself and uh, him and his wife and got to talking trapping, and it was just like you know we we'd been talking for about maybe three minutes, and all of a sudden, and we were on the same page, just like. You know, it's trappers. Uh, we it feels like you're best friends. You knew each other forever when you start start talking trapping. So uh, I developed Chad and I developed a little you know bit of a relationship over the few years that I was there and trapping. Um, helped out with the fur auction for uh, and go for the Montana Trappers Association and uh, went to the rendezvous and all that. So um, really good guy. Uh, it really enjoyed enjoyed uh, talking with him and talking trapping and, and learning learning things from him. So Chad is is uh, you know kind of entrepreneurial. Uh, he's a little bit of a businessman and uh, he loves to trap. So he started a little bit of uh, trapping trapping supply business called We Trap Him. We Trap Him Supplies and Services. Uh, he doesn't have a website, but uh, uh, we trap at nemont.net that's m n e m o n t if you're in the area and and you don't know Chad uh give him a shout let him know I sent you um he he has uh he sent me a letter he Chad was he he bought a copy of my book and uh just sent me a little update and I really appreciate that um and and really appreciate hearing from him that was pretty awesome uh but anyway uh, he is he is now making um, a a bait from uh, Jim Halseth. If if anyone doesn't know Jim Halseth, if you're in Montana, you you should know him. He's one heck of a trapper. Um, when I was there, I don't know what he's doing now, but when I was there, Jim was uh, he. So Montana has a quota system for bobcat trapping, which I think is really cool because guys can work hard and they don't—they're not limited per trapper. And in his district, I think Jim accounted for the vast majority of all the bobcats tagged in his district. And there's only seven districts in the state, so that's uh, <laughs> pretty impressive. Um, heck, heck of a heck of a trapper makes a really good lure, makes good baits, and uh, and Chad purchased one of those recipes, and he's making it. Uh, it's horse whisper, predator bait, uh, uh, very effective. 
Um, and then he's he's doing some other lures um, that he's been testing uh, that that he's putting on the market. So um, Chad will be at the Western National NTA in uh, Livingston in uh, the first and second of June. So that's coming up. If you are listening and you're going to be there, tell him I said hi. Really would appreciate that. And uh, and uh, I'm excited to catch up with him at some point. But anyway, just a little shout out there. Uh, we trap them supplies and services we trap at nemont.net all right now to some less good news uh, indiana has is not going to get a bobcat trapping season i we covered that i, I had that on trapping today there was an art, a couple articles there it was pretty encouraging I, they were proposing a bobcat trapping season be their first one in an extremely long time and uh kind of uh through the process they're Indiana, um, their, their commission, their game commission, natural resources commission unanimously voted, uh, not to go ahead with it. And it was a typical deal where, you know, there was a bunch of letters against it. The anti sent in like, I don't know, between 1500 and 2000 letters opposed to the trapping season. And, uh, there was a lot of pressure behind it and they, they caved basically as far as I can tell. So that's sad. Trappers in Indiana, uh, better luck next time. Hopefully you can uh, get through this and I don't know, maybe get some better people on the commission or, or maybe, uh, help promote a little more education there on wildlife management. And, uh, and maybe you guys can, can get a bobcat season, but good luck, uh, a lot of states have gotten bobcat seasons um, in recent years. I I don't see why Indiana can't do it, um, and I'm sure ho- hopefully with a little work they'll they'll be able to get that figured out. All right, so now the latest news last. That's kind of the opposite of, of probably what a professional podcast would do, but um, the North American Fur Auctions they had their May auction that's just concluding. I think there's actually. I think it goes into uh, tomorrow, but as you listen to this, as I record this, it's pretty much done. I think all the wild fur is sold. Uh, Bobcat sold today, and I don't have the results uh, from the Bobcats. Um, I'm going to pull up NAFA's website here just quick to see if they posted it up um, in the last couple hours. Um, but I have uh, information from, from a bunch of other wild fur items that sold. And if I'm going to give you a just a really basic overview of the auction, it is nothing changed. Flatline. So basically we're in the same place as we were. And uh, that's that. The fur market hasn't gone up really, hasn't gone down really. It's just kind of where it was. Uh, that's, you know, it, considering that we're so used to seeing downturns rec- in recent years, I guess that's kind of encouraging, right? Um, so the bright spot has been coyotes. Coyotes, uh, there were uh, 92,000, a little over 92,000 coyotes offered at this sale. And um, really sold well. Uh, the western heavy coyotes, uh, really good quality pelts. Uh, sold at 100% for an average of uh, almost $101 a piece. 
So yes, absolutely very good, very profitable for Western Trappers. The semi-heavies, the ones that weren't quite as full or thick, sold for $54.70. Eastern Coyotes, which for a long time were you know, $20, $25, those at, sold at 70% and averaged $43.73. Very awesome for an Eastern Coyote. And I'm sure there's some that got graded a little higher, especially the later caught ones. Um, actually talked to some guys up here that had Eastern Coyotes sell for over $100 when, when the average was $40, $50, uh, one of the earlier auctions. So great news there. The Section 3, the basically your Southern Flat Coyotes, were $15.56. So there was quite a bit of drop-off there, um, but that I guess that's to be expected Um they're they're just a you know not very prime they're not prime at all they're just a you know really flat pelt um, 15 bucks not too bad for those um, but very encouraging again for coyotes uh, raccoon um, NAFA's headline here raccoon sold primarily to China um, at levels firm to February. Uh, interest mainly in bigger sizes and better sections. So they're saying the higher quality coons sold. Coons didn't overall didn't sell great uh, as far as uh, percentages. So depending on the grade, between 58% and 72% sold. So there were a lot of a lot of coons that were held back. Um, basically, that means they didn't meet the price, the minimum price that NAFA thought they should bring. Uh, or nobody bid at, at those prices, and so they didn't sell. Canadian Coons, $9.67 average. Uh, Eastern Coons, um, $6. Western, mm, I think North Central, $14.25. And Western North, $16.59. So, um, not too bad, you know. We had a, a time here uh, where you couldn't sell a coon at all. Of course, um, the quantities uh, available or offered, uh, I think, are down quite a bit. There's 318,000 here. Have to look at some past auctions, but I I think those numbers are significantly down. People realized that the prices were low, so they didn't didn't trap as many coon. Uh, but there were a lot of coon, old coons that were re-offered. Um, from from previous auctions that didn't sell in the past, but six dollars to sixteen dollars, um, they sold. Um, let's see the rest of the species. I don't have, like I said, I don't have bobcat out. I'll, I'll post that up on the website when it comes out. Uh, Martin Martin did pretty well. The uh, the the those really good Alaskan and Northern Canadian Martin, uh, the the double to triple XL averaged ninety six dollars for the heavies, uh, XL seventy two dollars, large forty three dollars. Uh, overall, those those really like Alaskan Martin basically averaged seventy one dollars ninety two cents. That's that's a good price. That's I think that's probably better than I ex I would expected. Problem is only 58% of them sold. So what that means, I don't know. They uh, a lot of them, a lot of them were held back. Um, so um, that that could have been. It looks like they sold. Uh, 
it, it's hard to tell with these auctions because they they give you an overall sales percentage but they don't tell you unless you actually go through the whole catalog you don't know whether that was heavy um, to to the really did the really big better lots sell at a higher rate or did the lower quality lots sell at a higher rate um, we don't know we just, at this point just looking at this report 58% overall um, there's that actual average could if 100% of them were sold the average is right on spot on the money um, 58% there's a lot of leeway there so so those numbers could vary a lot depending on on um, on what what actually sold and what's what's left behind uh, so basically what, what I'm trying to say is if they if they sold 58% of the Martin offered and those 58% were the 58 were the, were the the better half the best ones then that average is artificially inflated it's higher than than it actually would be if they sold everything they sold everything you get true basically true value uh, of what what those Martin are worth if the 58% they sold was all the lower half and they held the line on the on the better goods then uh, then those numbers actually could be higher in, re in reality um, I doubt that's the case but anyway uh, the semi heavies that's basically what what I'm looking at with uh, Martin here in Maine uh, most of them seem to grade semi and uh, they're on the smaller end the semi heavy the really big semis uh, that would be like uh, say an Alaskan Martin that was caught early or it didn't really prime up so so all the semi heavies sold at 93% so this is more of a true value and the the really big ones were $54.90 the extra large 51.41 and then the large semis which is like I said a lot of what we get in Maine uh, they were a lot, quite a bit lower, $30.42. Um, overall average for the semi-heavies was $37.96. So a fair bit of drop-off there from, from the top-end Martin, um, but still overall not too bad. And then looking at some of the other species that sold, beaver, again, flatline, complete flatline. Uh, the eastern beaver sold at 75%, and the average was $13.65. Pretty much the same as it was. Um, actually, a little better than it was at the last auction, but but that was ridiculously low. The Western Beaver sold at 64%, and the average was $11.74. Section 3 Beaver sold at 100%. Those are like the Southern Beaver. Uh, they averaged $11.13. So as you can see, we're still in a hatter market for Beaver. Basically, Stetson Hats, the... Um, felt market is driving this whole thing there's there's really not um, not a lot of demand for those really thick prime um, heavy high quality beaver pelts otter sold 72 percent average twenty five dollars and seventy eight cents uh, wild mink only sold for f at forty percent um, so a lot of them didn't sell the average was good fourteen dollars and sixteen cents Muskrat, 78% sold at an average of $3.51. Eh, not too bad. And Fisher, only 53% sold. Uh, the average was $43.30. So about the same as what we've been seeing. All right, so fur is selling. That's, that's what's good. Um, and uh, 
even though it's not selling at as high a level as we would like to see, it's still moving and, and the prices haven't gone uh, considerably down. So um, keep your fingers crossed for next season for a good fur market. Hopefully things will improve, but uh, we that remains to be seen, and I'll keep you updated on trappingday.com. Well, anyway, thank you for tuning in. Really appreciate it. Bit of a long episode here. Uh, glad you are listening and uh, and supporting the podcast, and we will catch you on the next episode.